Good morning. I grew up in the suburbs of Maryland, not too far from the D.C. border. And I became Adventist when I was at the age of 12, me, my mom, and my sister. And as I became part of a church not too far from our house, they let me be a deacon in training. But one thing I thought was crazy to be a part of was Pathfinders. And I'll tell you why it was crazy, because in my family, no one ever goes camping. No one had ever slept in a tent before. No one had been in a sleeping bag. We didn't have those things in our house. And at the age of 12, I've become part of this club. And my first camping trip was not one that's just in a park and camping. We went caving. In Maryland, if we went camping or anything, we went to Virginia, not too far from the Blue Ridge Mountains where the camp was and the Potomac Conference. And it was a beautiful place. And my first camping trip was a caving trip. I learned quite a bit how to put up a tent, how to live in a tent, how to make sure your stuff didn't get mixed in with everyone else's stuff. But one thing we did was climb a mountain. And I remember putting all the stuff on and thinking, I don't want to do this. But I had a Pathfinder leader by the name of Randy who was patient with everyone who was there. And he encouraged each one of us, you can do this. And he was tell us how to climb and where to put your hand, where to put your foot. And we finally made it to the top. And what a beautiful view. It was just an awesome view, and who would want to come down? Our lives are like mountains. We climb sometimes after being in some valleys, and we get to the top and think, Wow, this is awesome. But along the way, we might have climbed some things, family problems, financial problems, things in the home, and we've made it to the top, and we don't want to come down. We don't want to go back to the valley where we've been. We see the view, and it's not the words would not be awesome. The words would almost be breathtaking, something you just, you just can't imagine. In my studies one day, I was reading the book, My Utmost for His Highest. And Oswald Chambers took about, I think it was three days, to talk about mountaintop experiences and something I had never really thought about before. Because as Christians, we always talk about these mountaintop experiences, but it kind of ends there. We never talk about going back to the valley. We never talk about maybe how those mountaintop experiences are to better help us when we go back to the valley, but not just us, but those who are also still down there. And he says, the true test of our spiritual life is in exhibiting the power to descend from the mountain. Why would I want to go back down to the troubles and problems of life? where things are good there on the mountain. I'm not ready to jump quite yet, Lord. Before we get started, let's bow our heads. Dearly Father, I want to thank you for this day and this Sabbath, the beautiful sunshine outside, and I thank you to be here at Downers Grove. Lord, I pray now that you will be with us in this time as we open your word. Lord, I don't know what everyone has been through this week, but I pray that they will just open their hearts and minds to what you have to share today. 
In your name, amen. I have a question for you this morning. When Jesus was here on earth for three and a half years, do you think that every experience was a mountaintop experience? True or false? Let's see if you're right. I want you to open up your Bibles to where we read our scripture today from Mark chapter 9. And I'm going to be starting at verse 2. I'm going to read over again. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up to the high mountain to be alone. Why would Jesus need to be alone? And this is not the only place in Scripture where this happens. His day, he's days away from the victory of the cross. And why only these three disciples? In a nutshell, this is why he needed to be alone. He had fed 5,000 before. This time it was just 1,000 shorter, 4,000 people. The Pharisees have gotten after him for a miracle and sent spies to find something on him. He's been away from Galilee for a long time. He heals a blind man. He asks his disciples to tell him who he is, and only one tells him he's the Messiah. Then he tells them once again about his death and resurrection, and Peter reprimands him, and Jesus gets a little bit frustrated by it all. In chapter 9, Jesus is ready to get away. So the answer to the question would be false. Taking his inner circle of disciples, not all 12, but just these three, maybe because he's ready or thinks they're ready to hear something that the others may not need or accept quite yet. We don't know, but he singles them out and he leads them across the field through the valley. Jesus, Peter, James, and John climbed 9,200 feet tall Mount Hermon, some scholars believe. The mountain looks over to northern Israel, this landscape, has snowy peaks, and at the top they can see the turquoise color, the Sea of Galilee, and the great plains from where they have came from. It's beautiful, and this track begins in the day and ends at sunset. So when we get there to this part of scripture, it is really dark. They've been walking all day, and they're tired. When you're tired, what do you want to do? You want to sleep. You want to put your feet up. Mark is the, Luke is the only account where the disciples go to sleep. Matthew and Mark, they don't. They kind of just sit there. They're tired. And then in this moment of tiredness, even if they were asleep or half asleep, something begins to happen. Now, today is Sabbath. Many people I know have their Sabbath lay activities. And we know what Sabbath lay activities mean. We all do it. When I have a free Sabbath, sometimes I do take part in lay activities. And when you wake up, sometimes you're kind of groggy and you start to see things. But in this moment, they probably thought they're seeing things. Because before them, 
the man of Jesus who is there physically with them every day, all of a sudden, he is a lot brighter. And there's some people there. Now, in our times, we have Uncle Arthur's books or the Bible story books. And we see these pictures of what Moses and Elijah and all of those great Bible characters look like. I don't think they had that. But they probably, from their age, they begin to maybe ask the parent, what did Moses look like? Or what did Elijah look like? They might have asked those questions. But just imagine this. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. And his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. If you've ever watched TV or watched this program where people are amazed in what they see, or maybe yourself, your eyes get a little bit bigger, your mouth might open up, and you begin to amaze, I can't believe what I'm seeing. I imagine Peter, James, and John doing that, but not just looking, but looking at each other, looking again, looking at each other, probably saying, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And oh, back and forth. And they begin to probably, I can't believe this. Before them is not just the story anymore, but the person. It's Moses and Elijah. They're right there. They might begin to ask themselves, is He's coming, are they coming to announce something to the great Jewish nation? Have they come to bring the Messiah? Because I believe some of them believe Jesus is the Messiah, but there's still that question. Is he here to deliver us from the Romans? All things going through their head. And in the midst of this great scene, one of the characters of the Bible who always has something to say speaks. When I get to heaven, I want to ask Peter, why were you always the first one to speak? He always beats the rest of them to the story. And he exclaims, Rabbi, teacher, it is so wonderful to be here. Let's make three shelters as a memorial, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't know what else to say, for they were terrified. So it wasn't something, hey, this is great, but I don't know what else to say, so here it is, because I'm terrified. In the midst of this, God speaks, and the only other place that he does that is here, just like he did for the baptism. This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. And then the visitors were gone. Jesus was back into the form they had known. This amazing event is over just like that. All the traveling that they have been through for most of the day is over just like that. He was about to face a tough road ahead of him. 
Now, if you were Peter, James, and John, what would you do? I don't think you would want to keep this to yourself, but you would probably want to run so fast down that mountain and tell the others. Peter wanted to tell his brother Andrew, but who was the one who brought him there in the first place? They want to tell Matthew and all of them what they had seen. I don't think they would have walked down. I think they would have run or they would have jumped off because they're so excited by what they see. But what does Jesus say to do? Don't say anything to anyone. But they would begin to talk about this after he is gone. But I don't think they waited till then. I think the three kind of went off to themselves every now and then and talked about what they had saw. What happened was a moment of truth they wouldn't understand. As time went by, they would be. But I want to go back to Peter's statement. Why would he want to stay there on the mountain? The realities of the world, the people here were great leaders of faith who helped the Israelites through so much in their past. I don't want to go down from this mountain because what I've experienced is starting to reignite something in my soul again. The mountain is giving me the strength again that I need. The mountain is where I can cry out and hear the voice of God and be able to get my strength back again. Why come down to the pains and the realities of the world or my life again? And this devotional Oswald Chambers goes on to say, we are not made for the mountains, for sunrises or for other beautiful attractions in life, those are simply intended to be moments of inspiration. We are made for the valley and the ordinary things of life, and this is where we have to prove our stamina and strength. The mountaintop is not meant to teach us anything, it's meant to make us something. The mountains are used to make us something, something that can help those down in the valley. Because you see, when Jesus comes into your life, there is a change, there is a transformation that happens. And when that happens, the people you might see on a daily basis, family, people at work, people at school, after a while they may begin to know a difference and the stress or the realities of a job or family or stuff with school, they begin to see how you handle it and begin to ask questions, why? And then this begins a conversation. The mountaintops experiences are there to change us but not meant for us to stay there. They're meant for us to come back down because there's other people who are down there that might need to know and hear what you might have heard there 
on the mountain. The world around us is in a lot of pain. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of arguing. Families that are going through a lot. School years getting ready to start. The one thing about our Adventist schools that I pray and hope, they're a place of rescue, a place where young people find Jesus. And sometimes in their homes, they may not have that. But they come back to our schools and begin to hear the things again and begin to feel safe again. They have been in the valley, some of them, a very long time. But they come to our schools and maybe they begin to climb up to the mountains, begin to hear something that helps them, that when they go back to the valleys of their reality, they say, well, this is what God has told me, and I'm going to make it through. God takes us to those mountaintops to let us see some beautiful things. Some sunrises, some really awesome things. This summer, we were able to go to the Grand Canyon, and we stayed till the sunset, and there was a bunch of people. And as the sunset, the shadows begin to change over the mountains and begin to see the valleys. And when you leave, it's just you can't believe what you saw. But we also went to a place called Bryce Canyon, and it outbeat the Grand Canyon by miles for me. And it's something that stuck in my head that I don't think I'll ever forget because it just made me think how awesome God is. And being up in those high places, when I came back down to the reality of my job and everything else, I was ready to face it. One of my favorite singers is Stephen Curtis Chapman. And one of the songs he sings from a very older album is called The Mountain. And it says this, I would love to live up on the mountain and keep the pain of living life so far away, but I know I can't stay. I said I'd go, Lord, wherever you lead, and I can tell we're headed for the valley. My faith is strengthened by all that I've seen, so Lord, help me remember what you've shown me up on the mountain. Remember what you have seen if you are experiencing a mountaintop experience. Don't forget what you hear and what you see. But don't stay there. It may be hard to come back to the valley, but you have brothers and sisters in Christ. You might have family members, friends who are down there that feel they're so alone and what you've heard and what you've seen, share with them. And they may not listen right away, but what you say and what you begin to explain of what you've heard from what God has shown you, it may begin to help them get out of those valleys. It may help them to begin to climb it may begin to help them. You can put your hand here. You can put your foot here. Just like my Pathfinder leader would tell us. Even though we were scared. 
that encouragement. You can do this. Just put your hand there. And when we got there, we could sit down and just be blown away by what we saw. But eventually we'd have to repel back down. But I've never forgotten what I've seen. Help your fellow brothers and sisters. That is also part of what God told us to do. I believe the Great Commission has that part to it as well. To help our brothers and sisters who are going through a lot. You have had this great experience. Help them along too. Let's bow our heads. The only Father, I thank you that you are a God who gives us these great mountaintop experiences. But Lord, you also have told us, Lord, that you want us to go down there to help our fellow brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to remember that. Be prepared to take that jump, to take that leap, because you are with us. You have shown us that what's there on the mountain and that you are there with us as we go down to the valley to help our fellow brothers and sisters. I ask this now in your name. Amen.